Welcome to the Practice Brave Podcast. I am the host, Brianna Battles, founder of Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism and CEO of Everyday Battles. I'm a career strength and conditioning coach, entrepreneur, mom of two wild little boys, and a lifelong athlete. I believe that athleticism does not end when motherhood begins, and this podcast is dedicated to coaching you by providing meaningful conversations, insights, and interview topics related to fitness, mindset, parenting, and of course, all the nuances of pregnancy and postpartum. From expert interviews to engaging conversations and reflections, this podcast is your trustworthy, relatable resource for learning how to practice brave through every season in your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Practice Brave podcast. Today, I am here with Rachel Selman, who is a pelvic health physical therapist, and she is the woman who reached out to me to help contribute to some research that was recently published. And I thought that it would be so valuable to bring her on this podcast and for us to discuss what this research means, what it's really about, because sometimes it can be hard to interpret research, and just the overall work that's really being done by different practitioners and coaches behind the scenes to move the needle forward for pregnant and postpartum athletes around the world. So Rachel, thank you for being here. You're a game changer, my friends. Thank you for having me. And thank you for jumping on this project through a, a Instagram DM where I just got really hopeful and was like, oh my God, I wonder if we had anyone help with this because it'd be amazing to have her on this. So thanks for um, the interesting ride over the past year. Yeah. <laughs> it has been interesting, but I mean, God, I get a lot of DMs. I'm really happy that I actually was able to open yours. And when I saw that, I was like, this is good stuff. This is a good opportunity. And what really sold me was that you were compiling, not just your own voice, but you really brought in and tried to like really recruit like high level practitioners in their fields and providers. Um, So let's like, Let's kind of talk about that a little bit. So what okay. a, sparked this research paper? And then B, how did you go about finding the people you wanted to help contribute so it wasn't just coming from your voice? Yeah. So I think the the research paper, honestly, if we're going to go back to the very beginnings of this, um, if I'm being completely transparent, it came from a really selfish place. Like I have two kids. I have a one-year-old and a four-year-old. And um, the guidance I got with my four-year-old was completely, I mean, just so lacking. And I think you can yeah. probably acknowledge this too, that the the public health landscape, I mean, just five years ago is so different than yeah. it is now. I mean, it's completely different in a, in a mostly good way. Yeah. Um, but the research at the time, and not even necessarily the research, but the guidance that I was given was a lot of the whole old school, don't lift more than 25 pounds, keep your heart rate below 140, all this good stuff. Um, at the time that I was pregnant with my first, I was doing strength training. I wasn't doing a lot of cardio, but I was doing a lot of strength training, like five to six times a week. And so I was like warming up, doing back squats at like 135, like just, I mean, cranking it out in the weight room, feeling really good and really strong. And so when I got pregnant, I was like, okay, well, what can I do? And obviously decided to follow the guidance of my doctor. Cause that's what you do. And especially with your first, I think, you know, you're a little bit neurotic about things. <laughs> Um, because you haven't been through it before. And so every new symptom, every new feeling, you wonder if you're doing something wrong. And so I sought out a lot of different opinions of just people that I knew and just got completely different information from every single person that I asked. 
So not only that, but the internet doesn't help because it also is super conflicting information. And so I decided to go because it was my first, especially with the most conservative information, try and be as safe as possible, keep my heart rate below 140, not lift more than 25 pounds. So I start trying to do that the first time I go to the gym, knowing that I'm pregnant and knowing these guidelines, my heart rate was like 140 if I did like 10 bodyweight squats. And so I'm like, okay, I guess I can't do that anymore. Um, and then I'm realizing, wait, the bar is 45 pounds. I can't lift more than 25. And then I'm like, wait, does that apply to like single leg activities? Or is it supposed to be 12.5 if I'm doing like a lunge or, you know what I mean? Just the, it just was horrific, the lack of information. Uh, so I went through pregnancy and I was a physical therapist at the time, but I didn't specialize in pelvic health. And we aren't taught a lot about pregnancy, postpartum in PT school or just not, um, you don't have time. And so it's like, if you want to specialize in that, you have to go to more, uh, education afterwards. And so I was a physical therapist and I kept thinking like, if I don't know how to do this, who does, you know, that is like our jobs. We're like musculoskeletal experts. This is like what we are supposed to be the best at. And I'm here clueless and it's my own body. And so I kept thinking like, if this is the guidelines, I mean, I dropped almost everything. Like I'd obviously stopped running because that was out of the range of my heart rate. I really stopped doing tons of lifting. Um, I did still, you know, athlete brain, I didn't give it up completely. <laughs> um, but like a lot of times I would drop the weights really significantly. And so by the time that I had my first, I was in this strange paradox. I, I had lost so much fitness from not doing what I could have done during pregnancy, but then also getting the postpartum guidance of get back to work. Like you're totally fine. Like there's not, there was no recovery process. It was just kind of like go on how you feel, which I think we both know when you work with people who are athletes, even recreational athletes, go on how you feel is not always a good metric to use because sometimes we push like straight through that. And especially having been so conservative during pregnancy, I was like dying to get back to it postpartum. So three weeks postpartum, you know, you start to finally feel like, okay, I can walk again. Stitches are like feeling a little bit better. And my doctor told me I could go on a run. <laughs> and so, you know, it's just the take it easy guidance. And so you go on a like a 10 minute jog, which to me would have been easy pre-pregnancy, but also remember I hadn't done that all of pregnancy. So it's like, now I haven't done that in a year. I've got all these crazy changes to my body. I haven't been strength training. And now I'm going to go do high impact work with no recovery process. So I go on this run, I come back. During the run, I actually felt great. And that's where I get frustrated with the advice of listen to your body because I haven't run in a year. Of course, it feels amazing. You know what I mean? Like I've been dying to do this. And I come back and I was like, what is going on with my body? I have no freaking idea. This is not normal end up down this awful Google rabbit hole of symptoms and basically convince myself that I have to have surgery and I'm 26 and I can never have any more babies because I'm going to have to have surgery. Um, in an obviously very vulnerable you have time. Prolapse symptoms after your Yeah. Run. So, so much like heaviness and this weird pressure. And now I know what I know. It's like, of course you had prolapse symptoms. Like you went and ran at three weeks postpartum. Right. What did you expect your muscles to do? But there was no one to say otherwise. And so that happened with my first pregnancy. And basically what ended up happening was, again, I ended up down that awful rabbit hole and eventually texted my friend who uh, is also a public PT and was kind of like, this is what's going on with me. Like, am I, am I doomed? Like, is this it? Like, I'm just never going to run again. I can never have any kids after this. And um, she was like, no, you shouldn't have been on a run. And also like those symptoms make perfect sense for what's happening. Like, let's talk about why here's a couple of things to do. 
And we didn't even really do like full treatment. We just kind of talked about it, laid it out and it got so much better. And it was just nice to have someone to bounce something off of like, Hey, I've never been postpartum before. So like, is this normal or is this something that I kind of like threw off a little bit and I need to get back on track. And so that's where it kind of started being really obvious to me that like everybody needs this information. Like it's, it's wild that it's not readily available to people so I, after that, I decided that I was going to do public health PT because I was frustrated how, you know, that it wasn't just available. So I went and did the training and then I had got pregnant with my second and my pregnancy was so different. I mean, it was so different when I knew how to train and knew what to do. I maintained my strength through my pregnancy. In some ways, I feel like I gained strength. I think I got a better connection to my core during pregnancy than I've ever had in my entire life because I consciously focused on it more than I do outside of that. Um, I went to Orange Theory the morning that I had my second, like I did a little bit of jogging and I did a little bit of jumping. And that wasn't something I did, you know, every day during third trimester, but that day I felt really good. And so I went for it and um, he was born perfectly healthy. And um, it just, that and the postpartum recovery was completely different because one, I knew what to do postpartum, but two, because I had trained during pregnancy, I just was like set up for success. And so I think that right now what's out there is so overly conservative during pregnancy where you're this fragile butterfly, don't do anything, don't lift anything. And then postpartum, it's like wild, wild west of like, you can do whatever you want. You know, if it's five weeks and six days postpartum, no, don't do anything. Don't even like breathe the wrong way. But at six weeks postpartum, suddenly the strict midnight, you're free to do whatever you want. Go on a run, go do a half marathon for all we care. Like there's just no guidance. Yeah. And so the the protocol really came from a selfish place because I was having a hard time. I feel like convincing providers that this was something that was necessary. And so I would talk to providers, you know, and say, hey, I'm Annie Rachel. This is what I do. Uh, and I would get a lot of not even necessarily like pushback, but a lot of, okay, yeah, that makes sense. You know, typically if people are still having symptoms, I mean, literally this is something that one of the offices told me, if people are still having symptoms at five years postpartum, then we typically send for PT. I know, you know, it's funny. It's like, it's, it seems, and I'm Mm -hmm. in the fitness side of of this conversation, but my observation over the last eight, to nine years has been the medical and practitioner community is so conservative in how they kind of approach pregnancy and fitness, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or it's just like really generic. And then a lot of you do you postpartum, but then the coaching or fitness industry is just a lot more extreme. It's mm-hmm. like, keep doing what you've always done. You're a badass. You can do whatever you yeah. want through your pregnancy push some boundaries. And if you're super fit during pregnancy, then you're going to bounce back right away. So it just like feeds two yeah. different cultures are being yeah. fed. The medical and practitioner community is feeding really conservative kind of fear mongering or just like lame advice, mm-hmm. outdated mm-hmm. advice. And then the fitness industry is feeding extremes, right? An yeah. extreme approach or like really rigid mentality. Yeah. And it's and like hard. glorifying, like how quickly you you bounce back. Like how quickly do you get back to running? How quickly, like, that's what kind of athlete you are. Like if you're not back to running at four weeks postpartum, then what kind of athlete really are you? Um, and there, 
I compare it to patients. Like if we had an athlete that we loved and adored and they had an ACL repair and they went on a run at four weeks after their surgery, we would be like, what an idiot. You know what I mean? Like, what are you doing? It's too early. Like your body's not ready for that. And how are you going to perform long-term if we jump this gun too fast? Totally. And like culturally, we know that too. Like the greater fitness practitioner medical world's like, yeah, after an ACL injury, like we're not doing heavy loads or high impact right away. Like that's common sense yet pregnancy and postpartum, which is far more common than ACL injuries. Yeah. It's like you do you and just like more extreme guidance. Oh yeah. Yeah. And a heck of a lot more like so much more liability. Yeah. Yeah. It's nuts. And so it's one of those things where it's like, to me, it seems super obvious, but I was realizing when I was going to other providers and saying, like trying to basically market myself and say like, listen, this exists. Like, I just want you to let your patients know that it exists and let them choose if they want to do it or not. I just got a lot of kickback. And so usually when I do that, what my next step is in my mind is, all right, let's talk about research. Like, let me go find you some articles that show you how good this is for people. And then you really can't, you know, you can't give as much kickback because it's like the research says this, but you know, this, there is no research. (laughs) And so it was like, I come back and I'm trying to find something to bring to a doctor's office or something to bring to like a local education session to say like, this is what happens if you do this. And it was not there. And so we've been treating this in the clinic for forever. And I think, you know, this information, if you look at it as a public health provider or as a coach who specializes in in prenatal, postnatal care, you probably look at it and you're like, duh, you know, all but it just didn't exist. It wasn't in a format that I could get it to get it out there basically and encourage people to start doing some research on it. And so I think I also would get a lot of questions like on Instagram and stuff about other PTs that I knew from school and they'd say, Hey, I've got this patient who's four months pregnant, but she's here for low back pain. What could I be working on? And so the, just the lack of information, the conflicting information that was available. So basically it came down to, I need this in one digestible format that everything's in the same place. And then that way I could maybe take it to people and say, this is what I do. Like this gives you some insight. And if you look at this and you're like, wow, that's really complex. I can't even like digest it, then that's when you send to me and let me kind of take the reins from there in regards to that, that movement and that training. And so that's where the paper came from was again, a very selfish place of like, Hey, I would want this information in one place. And also I need to be able to take this to people. And so we put it into the, the protocol and then the protocol, basically, you know, how it is, you have to run people through your protocol and then compare your results to what the general population is experiencing. So I think you have to remember, obviously, we're not like a research clinic. Like I was just treating full time. I've got two kids. And so it was kind of like we got a couple people who were fell into this, you know, prenatal care. And it was kind of like, okay, cool. Well, let's, you know, do you want to be a part of this? And let's just monitor your outcomes. And we treated them the same way we were treating all these women before. I mean, I think about if I went back and gathered retrospective information, I'd have tons more data, but that's not how research works. (laughs) Um, So, you know, know, it's like, it takes so much with just for people, again, our listeners, maybe not, are not like super well-versed in research. So you need Mm -hmm. to understand that the research that does exist is still very generic and very focused on convincing us that exercise is good for mom and baby, which again, we're like, yeah, we know that. And unfortunately we're still trying that does, that does need to exist. And 
it's still just like really generic where it's like, well, no combat sports and like, Mm -hmm. don't do anything with a high risk of falling like ACOG and whatever else is like very general. And then the biggest missing piece currently in research, or at least up until this kind of came out, it's like, there was almost like micro topics that were kind of connected. So people are piecing together research where it's like, let's talk about pregnancy. Let's talk about pelvic health. Let's talk about IAP. Let's talk about running. And it was all of these micro pieces that influence pregnant and postpartum like patients, but nothing that was very specific to exercise, especially in a way. And this is like the, the hill I'll die on basically is like, where we're not acknowledging the whole person of connecting psychology to pelvic health, to performance, like those three in one place is not really reflected in the research. It's reflected in my business, but then Mm -hmm. trying to get that out again, to get that buy-in from the medical community, from practitioners to be able to implement to their practice to then the general public to implement, like this is a beast of a thing that is still, like you said, like we're just in the infancy of it. Right. And like, we've been at this, I've been at this for nine years, yeah. you know, yeah. kind of saying the same shit right? in like a, like a nicer, more put together way as the years have yeah. gone on. Yeah. <laughs> so that basically, I mean, what happened was my hope really for the protocol in general was that this would spark discussion, right? Like I understand that you as a coach or other providers or whatever can look at this protocol and say, well, she put that at two weeks postpartum and I really prefer it at four weeks postpartum, right? Anybody right. can can do that. And I understand that, but I compare it to the like musculoskeletal protocols, for example, that we follow for, let's say, status post uh, rotator cuff repair. So when we have someone come in with rotator cuff repair, we obviously know, you know, the anatomy, the physiology, but most surgeons have kind of their own protocol of like, I want them to this many degrees of external rotation by this time. And so there's a timeline and then there's criterion in that timeline. And so as in the first four weeks, here's some things we need to make sure that we accomplish. And then you go to the next one. And then what happens is not every patient is going to fall into that protocol, right? So that's where a provider comes in, no matter who it is, but they have to be specialized in this because I'm telling you, it's not something that is taught to the general public, general strength coaches, general physical therapists. So someone to basically say like, okay, are you ready to move to the next phase or not? So one of the things that I got worried about with the protocol was that, you know, we put timelines on it and there's this big push for postpartum of like, Hey, you know, take your time, like, you know, really pour into recovery, all that good stuff. And I am all for that. But I get way more patients, and this may just be my patient population, and I feel like you fall into the same boat, who are like, when is the earliest that I can do this? And so we did the timelines for a reason. We did that because if everything's going fabulously and if we're on the right track, there still are minimum timelines that we need to follow for anatomy and physiology that it does not matter how great of an athlete you are. It still takes time to heal just because you're an elite athlete. doesn't mean you get to go on a run at two weeks postpartum, right? There still is a timeline that we should be following. And so that's why we put the timeline there. I understand that. I don't, I don't ever want anyone to rush their postpartum recovery. So I don't want them to feel like, Oh, if I'm not doing, you know, jumping by week 10, then that's a problem. But it was a timeline for that purpose because the question that I continuously get from patients and from other providers who are just seeking more information is when is the earliest I could do X, Y, Z. And so that's where the the timelines came from. But the, the people that we pulled into it, again, I think that goes back to the credibility of it was 
I wanted someone from basically every space to look at this and kind of agree on it. And I understand, again, there can be tiny intricacies that don't always line up with every single person. That's never going to happen. So if we wait for that to happen, we will never have anything out there. Um, But I wanted to kind of have a touch point for each profession so that when this does, you know, get when this gets out there and people are looking at it, they can say, okay, wait, an OB, you know, did look at this and said, actually, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Let's do that. Well, and so, like when you pull in different voices that are kind of leading their own space in a really like impactful way. Yeah. Most of the time, those people understand nuance and they understand that like no, nothing, there's a lot of fluidity in this. It cannot be rigid. Right. It will never work if it's rigid. It's like, right. I feel like we run into walls with people who want to just argue all the time about like, I, I think this, and I think this it's because they don't have like a coach mentality right. and they haven't worked with enough people to know, like, actually there is no set timeline. There are yeah. guidelines, there are themes, there's critical thinking, and there's a shitload of creativity that it that involves every field, right. every practitioner, anyone who's really doing a good job is able to like understand gray area. And I think that from being involved in this study and then from being involved in this work for so long and helping others come into this work, that's what we're teaching is Absolutely. to be a person that can like, you got to learn to read between the lines a little bit to find some cohesiveness and then really move the dial forward rather than like dying on every freaking hill. Right. So my hope is is exactly like that. Like I, if you're looking at this manuscript and you think, you know what, I don't like that you put pelvic floor contractions at two weeks postpartum. Mm-hmm. I don't prescribe that until six weeks postpartum. Then my hope is that we take this and we make a study, like have some women start at two weeks postpartum, have some women start at six weeks postpartum, have some not do PT at all who weren't going to do it anyways. And then let's compare and see what happens. So it was meant to be a starting point. And right. I think from an anatomical physiological perspective, the base is, is great. Right. And that was the purpose right. of pulling in all of these different kind of perspectives was let's make sure we're all on the same page. Because as a physical therapist, I will tell you, I have uh, pelvic PT friends who tell people to start doing pelvic floor contractions at the hospital. And then I have some who say, no, we're not even going to attempt that till six weeks postpartum. So is there some, some gray room, some like obviously create creativity, like you said, can we find a balance there? And then can we say, you know, from what we know, this seems like a good place to put this, let's put this here until we know more, because if we wait till we know more, we're going to be waiting and waiting and waiting and it's never going to happen. So can we put this out there so that people can start asking questions and I would never want someone to look at it and think this is the end all be all. And in 10 years, this should be the protocol we're still following. My hope is that it's not. Right. My hope is that it's better. My hope is that we've done research on the individual pieces of it so that we can get women better care. That's the goal, right? But it was amazing to me that here we are in 2022 and we don't have this. There is nothing that I can take and build off of because there is no base. So I think we had to start here. And now I think it's a call for the real work to really yeah. begin, right? And well, so, I certainly and, wish we would have connected years ago. I yeah, think yeah, that would have fit into the vibe of what we've been doing for a while. Yeah, and that's how it was for us in the clinic. You know, the clinicians that I've been working with, when we put it into a, a protocol, um, they weren't involved in the writing of the paper, but they've been treating with me for forever. And they were like, "Let me see it," and I was like, "It's not anything different than what you've been doing." Right. You know what I mean? It's just that it's not out there. So we've got to put it in writing and we have to start this process. And so like you were talking about the research, 
like the peer review process, you know this, it's it's intense. It's a lot of so much back and forth and so much, like we said, nitpicking, but in a good way, in a, in a way that makes sure that when this article gets to you, it is appropriate, it is um, correct, and it is analyzed from a bunch of different perspectives. And so that's why it takes so long to do stuff like this, but somebody has to freaking do it. We can't just wait for it to keep coming out and it's not coming out. So I wanted to pull you in from the strength and conditioning side, because I think as physical therapists, we do a great job with the rehab. And then we leave a gap between rehab and return to activity. And it's like, okay, cool. We got your pain down and you can do 30 clamshells on the table, but can you do, you know, an overhead press? Can you snatch? Can you run up that hill? Maybe not. And so to me, there's always been this gap and I don't treat that way now, but I did used to treat that way. And so I always tell patients when I'm working with them now, my hope is by the time you're working with me on our last visit, we're doing like an intense workout and it's everything that you want to get back to doing. And then the hope is that they can connect with someone like you from there who can say, well, let's take this and let's run with it. Like, let's make your performance better. I'll get your pain down and I'll do all this and then give them to you and say like, okay, let Brianna like take you from here and let you get stronger and better and faster and all that good stuff. But there was a huge gap there. And so I wanted to make sure we had someone on the strength and conditioning side to help us bridge that gap. And then uh, Elizabeth's in urology. And so she sees a lot of patients who are dealing with these like overactive bladder symptoms, recurrent UTI symptoms, leaking, et cetera. And they get to her because that's where they're referred. And she's able to catch and realize like, hey, wait, this isn't a bladder issue. It's a muscle problem. And so having her on the team has been such an amazing addition because so many, I think urologists and just again, practitioners in general will see like, okay, you're having some leaking, your bladder's probably jacked up, like from, from labor and delivery. It's not your bladder. It's probably your muscles and they respond like other muscles. So having her on board, having Susie on board covers the the OBGYN kind of end of things. Like just having someone again, to check off on me, like I do usually an internal muscle exam in either second or third trimester. Not everyone does that. So let me like go to an OBGYN and say, this is what I do. What are your thoughts on it? Um, And from her perspective, she's like, listen, if we're telling people, you know, sex is safe during second, third trimester, we're doing cervical checks, we're doing internal ultrasound, all that, like, I don't see a problem with doing an internal muscle exam. Um, So having someone to check up on those types of things. And then um, Kate over at Columbus State has her PhD in kinesiology. So someone who's just a movement specialist, from a movement perspective, do all of these progressions make sense? Um, and then Misty was um, kind of my like research liaison who worked at the same company that I did at the time and just kind of helped me like get connected in terms of like, how the heck do we do this process? Like I've got this idea, all this good stuff. And she's also a physical therapist. And so just having her pick things apart a little bit and kind of say, okay, well, what do you mean when you just say breathing here? What do you mean yeah. by that? You know, like get into uh, the God bless those people that are able yes. to pick, man. Yes. They're, they're it's so important. Yeah, it's so important. And so I think now, you know, people look at this manuscript and they're like, wow, this is really like in depth. <laughs> it had to be, it had yeah. to be. And and it's our job as providers to say like, listen, let me help you navigate this. It's not really meant to just get out there to individuals for them to navigate themselves. And that I think it, if anything, it's more of a push for people to advocate for care with a specialist to say like, okay, there's this really complicated kind of list of things that I probably should be working on. And it's not actually complicated when you get in with somebody, but I understand how looking at it's probably super overwhelming, 
But I think the bottom line was it had to be to pass that kind of peer review, all that literature background that it needed, all of the really, like we said, nitpicky things that had to be checked off for this to be an actual legit thing. Um, It had to be that way. And so I think now the the next kind of step in that is, you know, get with a provider and let them lay this out with you um, and make sure that they're a specialist in what they do, because this is not something that the general population is aware of. So my hope is it increases awareness of that, but it also encourages people to advocate for their care and not just take, you know, oh, you've got sciatica, that just happens. It'll go away when baby gets here, not taking that as an answer. Right. Absolutely. I think that we have come so far and that this is going to, this is one way that we can kind of back up the more than like, just do kegels or don't, you can't run again or don't squat or like, you know, kind of just dispel a lot of the things that have acted as myths. And also people like say like the 140 like beats mm-hmm. per minute thing. And like we, that was disproven a long time ago, yet it yep. is still like All given out as advice. And I'm like, <laughs> we that hasn't been a thing for a long time yet. It's like still a thing. So I think that even with the work we've been doing with certifying all of our coaches, the work and the collaboration they're doing with practitioners in the medical community, having this sort of like a hard product to say like, here is some evidence for the work that we do really helping people train through pregnancy return postpartum, acknowledging core and pelvic health considerations, also acknowledging their fitness that they want to do, just like even basic activities of daily living, being able to start there, do those well, and then progress it into fitness. I think that there's a huge disconnect with how we go about treating any other, you know, person from a prehab standpoint in the sport that they're in. We know what they're predisposed to like, Oh, this, this sport has a lot of knee injuries. This sport has a lot of shoulder injuries. Ooh, this sport has a lot of back injuries. So there's prehab built in from the coaching standpoint and the practitioner standpoint. And then the medical community too knows if they're injured, we got to get them back, right? Like they, there's like this buy-in too from the medical world of getting these athletes back yet something that is so common, like pregnancy and postpartum where not just fitness, but like quality of life activities, daily living, there's such a dismissal for the need for that, like prehab, what are they predisposed to? What is within our control during pregnancy? What variables are we going to have to manage when the time comes? Delivery, postpartum, how, however all of that goes, we cannot control all the things. Right. And then what can we do? What data can we collect based on their history and their current circumstance to help them do what they want to do? Like yeah. that is the big picture that we're really trying to spell out with this and why I wanted to bring you on to kind of acknowledge what this really is and what this really means for this demographic. I think it also, it bridges a really good gap between that zero to six weeks postpartum area, because that I think for so long has just been this like black hole of you. I, I see both ends of the spectrum. I see people who, you know, you have your baby and you're like, I'm not pregnant anymore. I'm going to do whatever I want. Again, like me going on a run at three weeks postpartum versus I have some patients who are like, I'm terrified. I don't know what to do. And so they don't do anything. And so when you come into the clinic at six weeks postpartum, I have to start with the basics, right? We can't skip the basics. They're the basics for a reason. And so if we can't do a good like diaphragmatic breath, if we can't do a good pelvic floor contraction, if we can't relax the pelvic floor, if we're lacking thoracic mobility that we lost during pregnancy, like then those kind of things have to be 
restored before we can really like safely push you into all the quote unquote fun stuff. And so if I have that zero to six weeks postpartum plan, then I can let patients work on that. Whether I come again, come to your house at like two weeks postpartum to check in with you and follow up and say, how are things going? Let's take a look at your scar. Let's make sure everything's healing. Okay. Versus absolutely no guidance, zero to six weeks where people go to either extreme extreme end of things. And then at six weeks, we basically backtrack and kind of start with the basics. Now, if you get the basics and you have access to those and you know what those are and you know what to be working on in that zero to six weeks postpartum phase, by the time you come see me at six weeks postpartum, you're usually cleared for internal work. So I can do an internal muscle exam, make sure you're contracting correctly, make sure you're relaxing correctly, make sure you can hold without holding your breath, like all that kind of stuff. And then we can get to work. Like we don't have to start with, you know, let's stretch our hips a little bit. Let's mobilize the scar. Let's desensitize. Like there's so much healing that happens in that zero to six week phase. And for so long, we've just been told that you can't really do anything. But at the same time, it's, it's like, Hey, rest, recover, get good sleep. No one's getting good sleep those first six weeks. Let's just be honest. Like that's just not happening. And then two, you're going to ask me to bring my nine pound baby and my 10 pound car seat to the pediatrician at two days postpartum. Okay. Well, you know, what happened to don't lift anything, don't bend, don't twist. How do I get my baby out of the crib if I can't bend? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just a total paradox until they send someone home with you for the first six weeks so that you can actually just rest um, and get some, some recovery that way. That's just not happening. And so to think that we can't start things like, cat cow, like child's pose, lumbar rotation, you know, stuff that will really help encourage healing and not only encourage healing, but encourage the mental, again, the whole patient, the mental health aspect of things. Right. If someone had just told me postpartum, like, Hey, here's some things you could be working on. I might not have needed to feel like I needed to go on that run because I'm like, I know what I'm doing. I have some things to be working on and I can feel in from that athlete brain perspective, here are some things that I'm doing to make sure that I'm recovering the right way. But in my mind, going on a run was like, I'm, I'm trying to get back to what I was doing. So to recover the right way, I need to get back to running. And no one was really there to tell me otherwise. And so that, I think that this paper too, one of the things that I'm most proud of it is bridging that, that zero to six week gap. Um, And there are things in there that, again, I think should be followed along with a specialist, someone who knows this information and can coach it the right way, because there is so much bad information out there that we're constantly bombarded with. Um, And so I think everything goes better if you have a specialist there to kind of tell you, yes, this is right. No, this is not. Yes, this is normal. No, this is not. Um, But for the general population who may not have access to that for whatever reason, at least it gives people something to look at. And my hope is that it will encourage providers and encourage women to say, Hey, I'm two weeks postpartum, but I'd like to go ahead and get started and not have someone say, no, that's crazy. You know, you're only two weeks postpartum. It's not like we're getting you in the clinic and making you go on a run. We're getting you in the clinic. So we can talk about scar mobilization. We can talk about healing. We can talk about mobility, lifting mechanics, stuff that's actually functional to you. Um, and so that has been a piece that I feel like has been missing for so long and just totally paradoxical in terms of what is we're told to do versus what we have to actually do to get by when we're raising a newborn or a toddler, right? The, the other thing that was mind blowing to me is that, that 25 pound lifting thing. Well, what am I supposed to do with my three-year-old when I'm pregnant? 
You know, I'm not supposed to pick him up. Like he wants me to carry him to bed. I've got to carry him up the stairs. I've got to get him in the car, but I'm not supposed to be lifting more than 25 pounds. Like, I mean, that just, it just doesn't make sense. And so trying to get information out there that just says like, here's something on paper. It's been peer reviewed. It's been like run through the ringer with multiple specialties. We all agree. We're all on the same page. Here is some good information. And that hasn't really been available up to this point. And so I'm really thankful for that. There are some more, some more recent articles that I do want to kind of just acknowledge because people can look further into them. And when I say recent, I mean, these came out like right before ours. So in journal of women's health, um, a really good return to reading article, that's a four phase approach, still amazing information. And I think one of the biggest things that in my brain is that it works perfectly in adjunct with what we put out there as well. Mm -hmm. So the only thing that we have that that one doesn't is timeframes but they have tons of great examples of exercises. And so if you take kind of our timeframes and you've got someone who's really hoping to get back as quickly as possible, and then you take some of those amazing exercises and progressions that they've had, I think those things work together. My thing with the four phase is that knowing, again, my brain and how a lot of the brains work with the people that I work with, it would have been very easy for me to look at phase one and say, I don't need that. You know what I mean? Like, I'm good. I don't need the breath work. I don't need the pelvic floor work. I can do all that when really I probably couldn't. And so I think that those minimum timeframes do give you kind of a guideline. Um, But that, that paper works perfectly with ours. And so when you have access to both of those, um, which they are both open access, like that is, that's incredible. Like that's research and that's information that we haven't had available And I think you need a specialist to help you walk you through those things, but at least it's something, you know what I mean? Like it's a start. And now we get to get into what I say, like the fun work of like, let's start picking these apart and saying what works and what doesn't so that this gets better and better and better every year. Absolutely. You know, something, a sentiment I've said for a decade now is like, you are not fragile and you are also not invincible. Like you're just So it doesn't matter how experienced you are, how educated you are, how fit you are, how complicated or uncomplicated your birth was. Pregnancy, birth, and postpartum delivery do not discriminate. And you have to know what you're predisposed to. You have to know what you're kind of looking out for, what we can do like as a preventative care kind of situation for ourselves. So much focus has typically been on the baby. And of course, that's always going to be important. That's always going to be top of mind but really being able to kind of like connect all of the dots for that whole person approach through these seasons. And again, uh, on behalf of this lifetime of athleticism. So when we can acknowledge the bigger picture with our athletes, like the best athletes I work with, I don't have to convince them of much. They're like, yeah, tell me what I need to do to have my best chance at getting back to the Olympics, the games, the this, the that, whatever it might be. They're bought in. It's like us regular athlete brain moms. A lot of the times that's fueled by insecurity of like losing ability or aesthetic or whatever. We can't zoom out like these really great athletes can. And so if we have an ability to kind of outline this timeline and the why, it's going to make that buy-in for the average female athlete, the average pregnant postpartum client hell of a lot easier because we're going to say, Oh, I understand. I'm predisposed to prolapse because of this, this, and this. So I, this is how I need to approach my training. This is what my timeline looks like to preserve my body to the best of my ability on behalf of this like lifetime of fitness function. 
And I think too, another thing that is really important to me about this, the manuscript and the timeline that we came up with is I was actually doing a podcast with Jason Fitzgerald over at Strength Running Podcast. And that was talking specifically about like running with pregnancy and postpartum. But his question was like, this seems like it's actually more conservative than what's been out there right right now. And so he was kind of like, why does it feel like we're going backwards? And I was like, I completely understand why you would ask that question, right? Because it's like, why are we telling people that they can't start running, you know, for eight to 12 weeks? Why are we going back, quote unquote, backwards? And what is happening is we know more, right? Like we know more about what your body's going through and what to expect from it. And so when we were giving people this general clearance at six weeks with nothing leading up to that, we're setting them up for failure. We really are. And they may not feel it instantly. You know, I felt it instantly because I was three weeks postpartum. But like at six weeks postpartum, you might not feel it instantly. You might feel really good. And then you start keep, you continue to push yourselves. And eventually your muscles start to say, we cannot do this anymore. We were not ready. And in a culture that glorifies that bounce back so much, it's something that you are so eager to do. And with my first, because I was in really good shape and working out so regularly, everyone all of pregnancy kept, oh, you're going to bounce back. Like you're going to, your baby's going to be born with a six pack, blah, 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 blah. And then when I did it, my quote bounced back the way that I thought I would, I felt like such a freaking failure. And I'm like, if I'm a physical therapist and I was in shape the way that I was, and I cannot get myself back to feeling like my body is just my own again. I mean, how do we do this for the general population? And so that was something that I really wish that I had these kind of guidelines on to say like, listen, it's, you know, we really don't even encourage like starting impact work until like eight weeks postpartum. And that would be like the earliest, like that would be if everything went great, you're feeling fabulous. Really, you know, we look more at like the eight to 12 week timeline. And then 12 week is really the part where we start to say, okay, let's, we can start to push a little bit depending on symptoms and how things are going. But to me, in my mind, it was like, everyone was just getting back to this at two, three, four weeks postpartum. And so when I couldn't do that, or when I tried it and failed, I felt like a failure too, which, you know, this, that first like couple months, that is a vulnerable emotional stage of life. You do not feel great. You do not move well. Your hormones are totally whack. And so to not have that one kind of outlet, that exercise outlet is, it just compounds everything else that's already going on. Right. So I tell patients, like, imagine if you had your, your, again, your ACL repaired and then no one gave you any guidelines. I mean, yeah. no one told you any timeframes. What would you do? You likely would get back to things like way too early, push right. it, and then potentially injure yourself and set yourself up for failure down the line. And so like being able to step back a little bit, like you said, that lifetime and say like, listen, if I just wait a couple more weeks and really let this heal the right way, long-term, the outcomes can be totally different. So I think about, again, my first, I remember the first quote, normal workout that I had was at like 14 months postpartum yeah. <laughs> um, because I did so much, I guess, kind of like wrong at the beginning, I really set myself back on that. With my second, I really started feeling pretty good around like six to eight months postpartum where I felt like I could really start pushing myself. And that that gap is so different. And I still think sometimes I have some symptoms that like, I still have some like right-sided SI joint pain that I really should have addressed like with my first pregnancy. But again, I didn't know. Right. Um, and so that'll pop up every now and then. And I'm always like, I wonder, you know, if I'd done things a little bit differently. If the guidelines were different, if the advice was different, would I still be dealing with this? And, yeah. and you never can answer that question, obviously. But I think we set people up for success by educating them. And for a long time, I think the push has been almost like the less you know, the better. Like if you just kind of, you know, 
we just keep this information away from you and let you just feel it out, then you'll, you know, you you can go about it better that way. And I just think that's so false. So um, I'm hopeful yeah, like that. More, I think we have to like reframe it where it's like, you might feel limited in some ways during pregnancy and in like these early chapters postpartum, but like your limited feelings now will help you feel limitless later. Exactly. And exactly. like, that's the work we're doing. That's the work we've been doing. That's the work that's becoming like more accessible and well-known in the communities. And I unfortunately feel that you saying, I wish I would have known. I wish somebody would have told me. That's what I was saying nine years ago. That's what you were saying four years ago. That's what people are still going to be saying years from now. So this is a slow build, a very slow build. And this is just one step in that next direction. But anyway, Rachel, thank you so much for being here with us today, for sharing so much about this work, um, the work that you're doing, the advocacy that you've taken to kind of move that dial forward. And where can we learn more about you and the work that you're doing? So right now, probably the best place to find me is going to be on Instagram. So stirrups to sit-ups is kind of the main, my main public health page right now. Um, I finally bit the bullet on that. I didn't think I needed a a separate page for a while, but that's uh, kind of where we're at right now. Um, So stirrups to sit-ups on Instagram is usually my best bet where we're about to move. I'm about to maybe start my own clinic in a totally different state. So that will be the best place to find me. So right now I'm in Georgia, um, but I'm actually going to be moving to North Carolina. Uh, So if you're in the Charlotte area and you want to kind of meet up and talk about things and shoot me a message because I'll probably be there very soon. And also, you know, any other recommendations of anything, food, et cetera. Um, but Instagram is definitely probably the, the most consistent place to find me right now. Um, and you can always reach out if you have questions. Like I don't, like you said, I do not hesitate to respond to DMs. And so you never know, look at this, what could happen from a DM. So if you have a question or you have a concern or you're like, is this normal? Is this not? I'm happy to answer that. And Instagram is usually a good place. And if it's something that I can't really answer without feeling like I'm not giving you medical advice, then I'll help you find somebody who can kind of check things out. Sounds great. Thank you for sharing your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Practice Brave podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and help us spread the work we are doing to improve the overall information and messaging in the fitness industry and beyond. Now, if you are pregnant and you are looking for a trustworthy exercise program to follow, I have you covered. The Pregnant Athlete Training Program is a well-rounded program for pregnancy with workouts for each week that are appropriate for your changing body. That's 36 weeks of workouts, three to four workouts each week, and tons of guidance on exercise strategy. We also have an at-home version of that program. If you are postpartum and you're looking for an exercise program to follow, the eight-week postpartum athlete training program would be a really great way to help bridge the gap between rehab and the fitness you actually want to do. From there, we have the Practice Brave Fitness Program, which is an ongoing strength conditioning program where you get new workouts each week and have a lot of guidance from myself and my co-coach, Heather Osby. This is the only way that I'm really offering ongoing coaching at this point in time. If you have ever considered becoming a certified pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach, I would love to have you join us. Pregnancy and postpartum athleticism is a self-paced online certification course that will up-level your coaching skills and help connect the dots between pelvic health and long-term athletic performance, especially during pregnancy and postpartum. Become who you needed and become who your online and local community needs by becoming a certified 
pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach. Thank you again for listening to the Practice Brave podcast. I appreciate you. And please help me continue spreading this messaging, this information, and this work. Thank you.